This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Asian Insider, a podcast series from The Straits Times. I'm your host, Nirmal Ghosh. Now, the 10-member Association of Southeast Asian Nations, ASEAN, recently had a summit in Indonesia. Indonesia holds a rotating chair of ASEAN this year. There were the usual messages on ASEAN centrality, cohesion and agency at a particularly challenging time internally for the organization and externally in terms of geopolitics. I am fortunate today to be joined by someone with a perspective from Southeast Asia, which is both deep and wide. Dr. Mari Pangastu is the World Bank's outgoing Managing Director of Development Policy and Partnerships. Her vast experience in many roles include serving as Indonesia's Minister of Trade from 2004 to 2011 and Minister of Tourism and Creative Economy from 2011 to 2014. Dr. Pangesu, thank you so much for joining me on Asian Insider. Thank you, Nirmal. So you mentioned recently talk of the need for a counter-narrative from middle powers to balance the zero-sum logic of great power competition and reinforce an open, pluralistic, and cooperative global order. Could you elaborate a bit on that? Yeah, it actually goes back to... ASEAN's theme of this year, you know, ASEAN matters, the epicentrum of growth. Now, how do you make ASEAN matter to make sure that you continue to grow? I think that's really our perspective that we have to keep in mind. It's not just about the economic side. Obviously, we are in a situation where we are facing geopolitical rivalry and being pulled from one side to the other by these two great powers. So I think ASEAN needs to navigate this new and challenging environment, but remain, if we really believe in the relevance of ASEAN and the centrality of ASEAN, then ASEAN is really one of the potential middle powers that can actually navigate this. You don't want to be pulled either from the China side or the US side or other countries saying this should be your regional order. We should really take, take charge of how we should be looking at this. It's basically the reason and the spirit for ASEAN, which, you know, if you go back to the 60s, we really saw that unless you have peace in the region, you're not going to have economic growth or prosperity or economic integration, which actually came later after you did the political and security cooperation. And three decades, moving three decades forward, the way ASEAN has been able to grow and each of the countries in ASEAN was able to grow was because we had strong regional economic integration as well as political cooperation. So really the new way to look at what we call the comprehensive regional security approach is to really have a recognition that security and economics are not separate. They're not siloed. You need to look at the economic interdependence as part of a security cooperation and look at it in a comprehensive way where you are looking at how to make sure that you're not just looking at traditional security concerns of military issues, but also non-traditional security concerns such as climate, health, refugees, immigration, and so on. So I think this is really what we are proposing and the track to, and it really needs this year's ASEAN chairman and leadership to come up with the concept and the vision and the implementation can come afterwards and it will come through strengthening existing agreements and frameworks and reinforcing the principles of what we have been used to with ASEAN and asking dialogue partners to also join principles such as non-alignment, non-interference 
and you know open regionalism for one of a better world it really means you're not exclusive to either powers you engage both and you also invite small and great powers to be part of the regional economic integration underlined with the political cooperation as well and this is really what we are proposing and it would make asean the epicentrum of growth because you are in a region of the world of uncertainty you are providing a potential way forward which will preserve open regionalism but at the same time contribute to multilateralism open regionalism yes very interesting phrase now you've spoken as well about the need for asean members to rise above national interests and be stronger as a region you know leveraging complementary strengths and so forth and the new economies evs electric vehicles and so forth offer new opportunities and also address climate goals how optimistic are you that asean is positioning to seize these opportunities and move forward are there any particular critical reforms that must be done is there movement in the right direction yeah this is a very important question because i think the other potential concern that we have if asean doesn't get its act together and have a collective vision is that each country is going to be really going in its own way because of the national interest so there's no asean anymore they will just make their own bilateral or regional deals and that would be very i think that would be very negative for the potential for asean as well as asean as part of east asia to be a regional power as well as a regional economic regional value chain if that's the right word to use because i think in a world where we have so much uncertainty diversification because of resilience to shocks because of security issues because of geopolitics diversification and deconcentration is what is happening already and you want asean to be the attractive location for that relocation and that does i think the basis is really the strength of asean which is the complementarity between the countries as well as with the integration with east asia now if you look at the potential areas of growth besides our usual you know making sure goods and services flow between the countries there are two important trends that asean must also be able to leverage one is the fact that when you talk about regional value chains or global value chains you have to be part of a sustainable supply chain uh, and the other one is services that services will become increasingly an important part of regional and global value chains so you need to do reforms you asked about reforms what are the important reforms that will be needed first of all asean countries individually as well as potentially asean needs to come up with what is their long term vision of a low carbon development strategy because that is what countries are going to be looking for in terms of where they would relocate and that includes okay if you want to have an ev strategy then you've got to have your own ev national strategy and to the extent you can have an asean strategy then it would be helpful and within that because we have minerals philippines malaysia indonesia for instance we do have some of these rare earth minerals and critical minerals how do we actually leverage but in an asean way not in an individual national way and for services obviously services sector liberalization and you know the important issue of digital economy is going to be very key right so you mentioned the digital economy one of the outcomes that is expected this year is the asean digital economy framework agreement how significant is this going to be i think it should be become significant because we see you know if you believe in the evolution of asean the way asean evolves 
is usually you agree on something and then you when when there's a challenge or there's a crisis or when there's a, a potential opportunity we accelerate the deadline and actually with the ASEAN digital framework agreement that's exactly what happened it was supposed to be completed in 20 started to negotiate in 2025 if i'm not mistaken now it's brought forward 2 years earlier with the recognition that the digital economy is very important and during the covid we really saw that services trade especially modern services that are based on digital technology and digital economy actually increased significantly and was one of the mainstays as tourism and travel dropped and a number of the asean countries such as malaysia singapore they actually benefited from that and i know that we know that also that the way to do digital trade has actually expanded exponentially so i think that's probably good reason why we want to accelerate it now what are the challenges big challenges because when you talk about digital economy you're talking about regulatory frameworks that are fragmented you're talking about differences in the way each country approaches privacy issues and data flows so you have indonesia and vietnam having very restrictive cross border flows singapore and the philippines are very open thailand and malaysia are adopting more the european model uh, where yes you can have cross border flows but very with very strict privacy requirements so i think we need to and this is not in the absence of what's happening globally as well china us and europe have very different regimes as well So I think it's good that ASEAN needs to act, get its act together and really start these negotiations but build on their on the existing frameworks that they've already agreed on such as digital governance and would add one more thing that uh, you know a lot of this is going to be e-commerce 64% of the ASEAN digital economy is actually e-commerce based and for good reason or bad reason we see already ASEAN companies whether it's GoTo whether it's Grab which is already ASEAN or C for that matter they're already asian right but they are facing impediments in being able to really leverage on having an asian market one of the concrete development was the agreement by the central bank governors on the asian payment system which i think is great because you are talking about basically at the end of the day besides the regulatory harmonization is interoperability of systems and payment system it obviously underlies e-commerce very importantly and this is going to be already implemented i believe starting this year okay very interesting now going back to the larger geopolitical situation obviously there is significant risk in terms of supply chain reordering disruption becoming entangled in great power competition but could it also be said that asean is in a sweet spot so to speak being courted by both superpowers and benefiting from french shoring yeah i think so the data actually shows that in this us china trade war as you would expect the us exports to china fell china's exports to the us fell but third country exports to the us and the rest of the world actually went up and southeast asia is a major recipient for this relocation of trade and investment i think it's at the moment it's mainly trade building on the capacity that's already there and that just i just want to go back to my first message that the, the capacity is there because of the regional complementation that already exists in and there's already a regional network going on there where you can import from china but do a lot of the packaging and the assembling either in vietnam or singapore or any of these southeast asian countries and still be able to export to the us so i think this is another reason why in this diversification and 
deconcentration, including in the rare earth and critical minerals, that ASEAN can position itself between the two great superpowers. Because, And I think the test will be whether the investments will flow to strengthen and expand and scale up a lot of these regional value chains. But within that, we must have both China and the U.S., within that, as well as Europe. And I think this is really the test. So ASEAN needs to make itself attractive, both national policies as well as the international coordination, which I go back again to the comprehensive security agreement theme. And I think that will position us as the epicenter of growth and to make ASEAN really matter. Do you think ASEAN matters more now than, say, a few years ago? I mean, you made the point earlier and you've made the point elsewhere as well that all the integration and the growth depends on stability. To achieve prosperity, we need peace. And ASEAN should be able to shout that message out very loudly and even be the agent to show the way forward. Is ASEAN ready for that yet? Has it got enough heft to do that? It should because, you know, I think we believe, those of us who are, I'm basically an ASEANist because I've been working both outside and inside government on this. And I am a great believer in the potential opportunity for ASEAN to play that role and be the agent. Uh, And, you know, in a world where you've got so much uncertainty, middle powers, which is ASEAN collectively, uh, can can play an agency role to keep things moving. It's what I call practical incrementalism in the world of where we don't know where multilateralism is going to go and whether the, where, and we, where we see geopolitical rivalry just escalating, it, it's a very potential role for ASEAN. So, But the big question is, you know, I always tell myself I have to be an optimist when I see these things. Obviously, it, it falls on leadership. And the leadership is what needs to happen within ASEAN to make this happen, starting with the chairmanship of Indonesia this year. So, you know, we need to impart the message that if we don't do this, ASEAN is not going to be, ASEAN will not matter. ASEAN will not be the epicentrum of growth because in the geopolitical rivalry, the cost is going to be borne by third countries, especially developing countries. So it's going to be borne by, by, by countries like us and we will not be able to, we will have to develop in a different way than what we have, that has been the strength of the region. So it, the cost is great for us economically, jobs loss, poverty increase and so on. So I think that message is what we want to impart on the leaders that really it's a chance for the leaders to get together and make that difference where ASEAN can matter and be the epicentrum. But of course, once again, I'm an optimist, but (laughs) we do need to see the political commitment and the leaders to come together on this. And I really hope that If anything, the messages that we are trying to relay today will also continue to resonate before we we go towards the final summit in September. Thank you for your optimism. Dr. Marie Pangestu, thank you for joining me today on Asian Insider. Thank you. That nicely wraps this discussion up for the Asian Insider podcast. I'm your host, Nirmal Ghosh. Join me and my expert guests for the next episode on the fourth Friday of every month. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.